chapter 2, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew 2, and we will read from verse 7 down through verse 12. We will read these responsively. We'll be reading the even verses together. I'll begin in verse 7. The Bible says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Together, verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll look at this topic, gifts fit for a king. Lord, thank you so much for uh, just this time of year where we commemorate the greatest birth to ever take place on this planet. God incarnate. You, you came down, deity born inside of flesh, and you dwelt amongst us. How thankful we are that you set in place that redemption plan so many years ago so that you could grow up, live a perfect life, and then, Lord, become every one of my sins on the cross, knowing how unworthy I was of salvation, knowing how that I was deserving of the death penalty for my sin and how you stepped in my place, you became my sin, and then you acquitted me of my crimes. Thank you, God, that my faith was placed in that sacrifice so many years ago. And, Lord, our prayer today as we look at this, uh, topic of gifts fit for a king, that if today there's someone in, in the audience who's not yet put their faith and trust in you for salvation, God, maybe they've been relying in themselves or another way. May they make that decision today. Help us, Lord, today to, to consider the text, a text that we're probably all familiar with, but to draw some things out, Lord, that can help benefit our Christian lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Ushers, I'll just say that if we have people come in and we don't have a place to put them, we do have room down here in the front. Uh, so just, uh, just that you're aware of that. Matthew 2. Before we jump into the message this morning, uh, I just want to really encourage everybody to be back this evening. This is meant to be a community event. Um, how many of you have family Christmas traditions? Would you raise your hand if you have family Christmas traditions? Would you consider adding this to the list of family Christian traditions? If you weren't here last year, uh, come this year. If you came last year, do, uh, do it again. Be here this year, and I guarantee you, you'll leave here tonight. Glad you did it, and your heart will be warmed uh, by the uh, service this evening. Also, tonight we'll be giving the gospel in the message and giving an open invitation for people to put their faith in Christ. And so, this would be a good opportunity for you to get a loved one or a neighbor who otherwise would not come to church. Maybe you don't know how to give them the gospel. This would be a great opportunity to get them here so that they can hear the gospel message. And so be here for that. Also, I wanted to encourage everybody, January 7th, we're going to unveil the 2018 theme, the theme for uh, our year. We're, we'll, we pick a spiritual theme every year. This past year, 2017, has been Lift Him Up. We've talked about lifting up Christ. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, John tells us so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so next year we'll unveil the new theme, and then in the evening of January 7th at 6 o'clock, 
will be casting the vision for the church uh, moving forward for the year and then also just um, uh, the uh, future beyond 2018. So mark your calendars and plan on being here for that. Tis the season of giving gifts, is it not? How many of you all spent out by now? You spent and you bought and you bought and you bought and you've watched the bank account just go kaput, right? Um, my kids are anxiously awaiting tomorrow. They, they're just, they're eight and six, they're beside themselves. They cannot wait and um, um, I, I guess if we had a rule, didn't have the rule that mom and dad had to be in the room, we would probably wake up at three in the morning and the gifts would already be open. Um, that's just how that goes. Um, it's that time of the year where you rip off a bunch of cheap paper with color on it. And uh, we, we've gotten them some nice presents, I'll tell you. We've, we've gotten them some clothes this year. I'm going to tell you, we spent top dollar on this, these clothes. And I'm sure that tomorrow when they get all these clothes, they're just going to be stoked. Um, okay, all right, we got them some toys too. Um, as a kid, I loved Christmas. Can I just say, though, that what I really loved about Christmas was the getting. Now, don't look at me with that pious look. You were guilty of the same thing. Um, but I believe that I enjoy Christmas more now than I did then. And most, every, most everything we do on Christmas has some tie back into the Christmas story. This is definitely true with gift-giving. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at the wise men who came from the east bearing gifts for baby Jesus. Now, according to the National Retail Foundation, you, this is something I've wondered while out shopping this year. I've wondered this, how much does the average U.S. family spend on Christmas presents? Has anybody else here ever wondered that? Well, you're, you're uh, in good shape. If you haven't, now hopefully I've made you curious and I'm going to answer that question for you. The National Retail Foundation found that the average U.S. household in 2016 spent $935.58 on Christmas presents. Right at $1,000. Right at $1,000. You know, those game systems aren't cheap, are they, for your, your young kids? And uh, those, uh, those uh, presents you buy for the workplace or people you don't hardly know or care about and all the gift-giving that you do, um, that's a lot of money. That is a whole lot of money. And as we look back to that first Christmas, we find rather a much more humble beginning. Um, I'd like to draw out two attributes about God this morning and then tie them into the Christmas story. So while this, these points may not seem like they relate to the Christmas story, I'm going to tie them in in just a moment. Um, the first thing I'd like to draw up by way of introduction is that God loves to do the impossible. He loves to do the impossible. In fact, Jesus said himself, um, in all four Gospels you find uh, either this verse or one similar to it. Matthew 19, 26, But Jesus beheld them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We have a God that loves to look at what everyone else says is impossible, and he loves to smile and say, no, it's not. No, it's not. The second point I'd like to draw out about God this morning is that God also loves humility. He loves humility. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So, He resists the proud. Why? Because He does not like pride. And then He gives grace 
to the humble. We're told over and over again, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. And so, how are you lifted up in, in, in uh, God's world? Well, you must be humble first. So, not only does God love to do the impossible, but God loves the humble. He loves those that have a humble heart. We live in a day and age that the attitude is, hey, listen, if I don't look out for myself, I'm just going to get ran over and so i got to stand up for myself and toot my own horn. And i got to say that that might be the case in some secular places, but God is the one ultimately that will promote you and He's looking for the humble and hardworking to promote. Many have wondered why God, the promised Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, why He would come to earth and be born in a damp, drafty barn to peasant parents and spend His first night wrapped in rags used to clean animals or swaddling clothes. Many have wondered why the first folks told about baby Jesus, the Messiah, uh, they weren't lawyers and doctors and, and, and religious folk. They Instead, they were... Uh, Lowly shepherds that were nomads that traveled from one place to another. Many have wondered why the God of the universe that left a throne of wealth and great riches and holy, holy, holy being sung in His presence, why He would come to earth in such a humble setting. Well, uh, when you consider that God loves to do the impossible and that God loves the humble, it kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Makes perfect sense. Our uh, Messiah, uh, the Messiah, the Savior, he did not come in on a a horse, uh, riding in to to save uh, the Israelites from the Roman captivity. Now, most folks studying, most of the scribes that had been studying the the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. If you're coming on Wednesday nights, we're going through the minor prophets uh, right now. Most most folks. Uh, that read and studied this during the day, they thought that the coming Messiah, they didn't separate the first coming from the second coming. They figured the first coming was Jesus coming to throw off the Roman tyranny and reestablish Israel as a political dominance in the world. And Jesus would be the Messiah, the, the, the Messianic King, David's lineage, King David coming back and reestablishing the throne to rule and reign. And by the way, that's still going to happen. Uh, if you study it out, that's not yet happened. Jesus one day will rule this earth right here from Jerusalem on uh, David's throne. But there was that first coming where Jesus had something greater in mind. You see, God in heaven, He saw the Romans who had enslaved the Israelites, but greater than that, He saw humanity that had been enslaved by sin. And before he could free Israel, the, the Israelites from political bondage, he first needed to free them from the cruel taskmaster of Satan. Jesus was born in a humble setting to poor parents. And while Joseph and Mary did not have many earthly material goods, I will say this about them, they were very, very rich in faith. Now, you know the phrase, He who holds the purse holds the power. Right? And our government, Congress, is supposed to hold the purse. That's how that works. Um, in my home, I hold a wallet and my wife holds the purse. So I guess you know who has the power. Amen? Um, 
The idea there is he who holds the purse holds the power. The person that has the money, boy, they're the ones that get to call the shots. They're the ones that really are in charge. And so whoever has the money, boy, they're in charge. And i got to say that uh, my God in heaven, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible tells us. Every dime on this planet, whatever currency it's in, Whatever, whatever uh, bank account it's sitting in, whoever, whoever is hoarding it away in some uh, a jar or under some uh, 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 behind some trick wall, God ultimately owns all of that money. And so you look at God who puts His Son uh, in a lowly setting and you go, this is impossible. How can someone who's coming out of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, the, the least amongst Judah, how can this man ever stand up and do anything great? Well, His Father, the God of heaven, He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. There is no limitation to our God. I believe that just as the wise men gave their gifts to King Jesus, we should likewise consider what we can give to our King and Savior this Christmas season. Let me say here before I jump into the, uh, the, uh, uh, the meat of the message that uh, I love the gift giving this time of year. There are a bunch of things that are, um, uh, that are done by people who don't even believe that Jesus is God. Uh, they take God's name in vain 364 days a year, and then on Christmas they give out presents in His name. Um, they, uh, they, they jump in on the traditions and the seasons. And I believe that much of our, our Christmas uh, traditions and rituals here in America have become very secularized. In fact, if you go back and you look at the history of Christmas, you learn that this day, December 25th, was a day that the pagans honored their gods. And Christians sort of hijacked it. They inserted the birth of Christ here on this day so they would have something to actually celebrate. And it has been a battle by those who worship pagan gods for thousands of years to try to rip Christ away from Christmas. And I have to sadly say, I think that they're beginning to succeed I turn on uh, the, the radio and I have found the, 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 the quote-unquote Christmas music station. And listen, I grew up listening to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Jingle Bells. And, and there's a part of me that loves that stuff. But it's sad that you listen to 25 songs in a row and not one mention of Jesus is given. And this is just where we're at as a society. And I'm, I'm glad that today in Stratford, Connecticut, we can gather together and fill up an auditorium with people who still want to keep Christ at the center of Christmas. Now, you're here today and you're giving of your time, and I'm thankful for that. But let me just say this. Tomorrow morning, don't just wake up, read the Christmas story, and then forget about Jesus the rest of the day. Tomorrow is His day. It's His day. And so make sure that not only you recognize that and realize that, but your children uh, keep Him in the forefront all day long as well. All right, let's look at three thoughts this morning on this topic of gifts fit for a king. Number one, first notice the presence from the Magi. The presence from the Magi. Look back at uh, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 11. It says there, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. Look at the gifts here. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. We're going to look at two sets of gifts this morning that the Magi offered. First of all, notice letter A, the tangible. The tangible. These Magi had traveled quite a ways to uh, get to Bethlehem where Jesus was. When they arrived, they came bearing gifts 
for the coming Messiah. So uh, what were the gifts and what meaning did they have? What meaning did they have? So first notice the gift of gold, the gift of gold there. And uh, the first thing I'll say about that is that it represented royalty. Now, these gifts were symbolic of, uh, of, of who God was. And the men that brought these gifts, they had done their homework and they were well aware of who this baby was and what exactly he meant. And I believe they knew exactly what he had come to earth to do. They had studied the, the prophets a little bit deeper than most. So when I think of gold, some other words I think of are precious. Precious, right? Gold is a precious metal in that it's not very common in the world. In fact, gold is a great thing to invest in. And if you're a doomsdayer, that's a great thing to have laying around in case uh, America's money uh, uh, goes up or those, side, uh, those sort of things. But gold has been around for thousands of years. It has stood the test of time in part because it is precious. Another word I think of is the word jewelry. Jewelry. A lot of you ladies this morning are wearing gold jewelry. Some of you men may have a gold watch or a gold ring or other gold jewelry uh, on you. And why? Because uh, we take gold and we put it in jewelry. Sometimes it looks like gold and it's not. It's just painted metal. Amen? Uh, But nonetheless, jewelry. And then uh, when I think of the word gold, I think of wealth. Wealth. An example of that, King Solomon, during his... um, time as king, he accrued 666 talents of gold or $287 million in gold by today's standard. That's a lot of gold. Jesus, being the descendant of King David and King Solomon, by bringing this babe that gold, they were honoring him as the king of kings. Now, you ever given someone a gift and it was symbolic of something else? Um... That's what this is. Now, um, uh, Friday, I had the privilege of standing here and marrying uh, a sweet couple, Kyle and Autumn, and there was some gold in those rings there. And uh, Autumn slipped a gold uh, ring onto Kyle's uh, wedding finger uh, for their wedding celebration. And that ring wasn't just a symbol, uh, uh, wasn't just a, a gift of a ring, right? There was much more meaning to that ring. Many of you here today are married and you're like I am. You're wearing a wedding ring. And that gift, that, that ring was given to you by a spouse. And there was much more symbolism behind that than just the ring itself. Such was the gold. They were honoring him and recognizing this little baby as being a king. You say, well, pastor, can you prove that? I sure can. Earlier in Matthew chapter 2, they show up in Herod's uh, uh, castle and they say, where is he that was born King of the Jews. So by giving him this gold, they were not only calling him king with their words, they were calling him king uh, through a gift. The next gift they gave was frankincense. Frankincense. And this gift was to represent Christ as deity or as the, as the, the, the great high priest. If these wise men knew the book of Isaiah, and I'm sure they probably did, then they know that chapter 16 and verse 6 tells us this, They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. They shall bring gold and incense. And so this frankincense was that incense. Um, uh, while the gold symbolized uh, a recognition of baby Jesus being the heavenly king, the frankincense symbolized baby Jesus as being our great high priest. 
Back in uh, 2016, I preached a series of sermons uh, uh, out of the um, Old Testament uh, entitled, Seeing the Savior in the Sacrifices. We took the Old Testament sacrifices and we talked about how they would offer these sacrifices up on the altar and what, uh, how those, uh, uh, how Christ completed all those and how those pointed to Jesus. Every detail pointed to them. Now, if you go back and you search for the word frankincense in the Bible, quickly what you find right away is Leviticus 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Where those sacrifices were done, frankincense was involved. Frankincense was used. Why? Because Jesus Christ would be anointed with this uh, frankincense. He would be the great high priest that would be uh, there to intercede on our behalf. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who is that? That's the man Christ Jesus. This is the verse why us Baptists believe you don't need a priest to intercede on your behalf. Now, if you need counsel and you need help in your life and you, you come and schedule an appointment with me and you come and to my office and you start confessing your sin to me, uh, I will listen to you and I will try to give you some advice from the Bible to help make your life better. But can I tell you, you don't need to confess your sin to me. You can confess them straight to Jesus Christ. Because that's your mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. In fact, there were priests in the Bible. And these priests were important. These priests were necessary. But look up here, please. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, he was the last and final priest that was needed. He would come and he would hang on the cross. We'll talk about that more in a minute. He would rise from the dead. After his death, he would gather together his own blood. And just like the priests in the Old Testament would sprinkle the blood of that lamb, on the altar, Jesus would take His own blood back to heaven and would sprinkle it on the altar of heaven, atoning for our sins, setting the difference between our sin and God's wrath and satisfying and appeasing God. He is my high priest. He is your high priest. And these these men, these magi, these wise men, we'll talk about their origin more in a moment, but uh, their bringing of this frankincense was a recognition that this baby not only was the king of kings, but he was the priest of all priests. The last gift they offered there was myrrh. Myrrh. And here they were bringing this because they knew that this baby would suffer. You find this substance around the person of Jesus three times in Scripture. Here in Matthew 2, it's given to him as a gift. It's given to him as a gift, as a baby. Can you take your Bibles over to Mark chapter 15 and verse 23? Mark chapter 15 and verse 23, we find that here we find Jesus, what he came to earth for. He came to die. He was born to die on Calvary and here he's hanging up. And by the way, that word Calvary, that is a location. You'll hear Calvary Baptist Church or you'll hear the word Calvary thrown around. That was a location. Uh, that was the location that Jesus died. Another name for that was Golgotha. The word Golgotha means place of the skull. And I've been told by those who've been to the Holy Land that if you look at the place where Jesus died, it looks just like a skull. And so that's where we're at now in Mark 15. He's hanging there on the cross the Bible says there in verse 23, And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. Mingled with myrrh. But he received it not. This myrrh was given to him because he 
the myrrh was given him as a baby because they knew that he was going to suffer. And this was supposed to be some kind of a painkiller. I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, that he was given this after he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was in pain. He was in agony. And they were offering this as a pain killer for his suffering. Turn over to John chapter 19, if you would. John chapter 19, we find the third time uh, that myrrh is around the body and the person of Jesus. Now, Jesus is dead. This is John's account of the same story that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would give of the death of Jesus. And now Jesus is dead. And the man, Nicodemus, who he led to the Lord back in Uh, led to himself, led to salvation back in John chapter 3. We find in John 19 it says, And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, that's John 3, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, John 19, 39, about a hundred pound weight, verse 40. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury they were, they were fragrancing the dead body of Jesus, wrapping him in these linen cloths, Nicodemus. And we know that Joseph of Arimathea would be involved in this as well. What were the tangible gifts given to baby Jesus by the Magi? Well, they were gold. They recognized Jesus, baby Jesus as being the Christ, the King. They were frankincense. They recognized Jesus as being the great high priest that would atone for the sins of the people of mankind. And they were myrrh. My friend, so many people this time of year celebrate Christmas because our culture tells us to do it. They'll put up, blow up Santa Clauses in their front yard and they'll hang lights everywhere and they put a tree up and they decorate the tree and they go out and spend that 900 and some odd dollars we talked about a few minutes ago on Christmas and buy all the gifts and the cheap paper and wrap them up and and, uh, get the, the tissue paper and stick it in bags and stick it all under the tree and uh, tonight I'll be assembling a large item like many of you will be for one of my children and I'll probably go to bed at whatever and be looking for a 24-hour store to buy batteries, right? Um, and these are things that go on at, at Christmas time. But my friends, Jesus came to die. We celebrate His birth, but we forget about His death. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. I want you to point on your thinking cap for me. If I could behave in a manner that would please God so that He would grant me access to heaven, then why would Jesus come and hang on a cross? I want you to think about that. If I could be good enough to earn my way to heaven, then what's Christmas even here for? Now, you're God. I want you to put your, put your thinking cap on here again. You're God. You're sitting in heaven and you're looking down at your creation. And they've blown it. I mean, there's sin everywhere. There's sin in every person. In fact, if you're here today, you're a sinner. And I don't say that to be offensive. I'm a sinner too. To, to breathe air in and out of our lungs, eventually we're going to sin. In fact, some of you have already sinned today. If you haven't, you'll probably sin before the day's over. You say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. Well, have you had a proud moment? You, had a, you, you told a lie even to yourself in your head? Have you uh, complained about anything? Some of you complained that the line was too long upstairs or you know, that uh, uh, you didn't have that item or that yours didn't get eaten very much. Uh, whatever, you know, we, 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 we complain and we sin. We have sin inside of us. Because of our sin, 
God cannot let us into heaven. When I'm sharing the truth of salvation with a child, I'll use a very simple illustration. And I've got to say this morning, I love simple. Simple is good. Um, here's what I'll tell a young child that, say, between the ages of 5 and 10 years old. I'll say to that child, if uh, you were running around outside and playing and you fell in a mud hole, you got mud all over your clean shirt, you went inside and you took that shirt off and you put it in your clean shirt drawer. How happy is mommy going to be with you? Oh, oh, that's not good. No. Does a clean shirt belong in a dirty, or rather a dirty shirt belong in a clean shirt drawer? No, it doesn't. Um, your dirty, sinful heart does not belong in a clean and perfect heaven. You say, oh, but I've done good. That doesn't take away the bad. But there were plenty of days I didn't jump in the mud hole doesn't change the fact that you've got mud all over your heart. That mud's called sin. I'll look at that little child and I'll say, where does that dirty shirt belong? Well, it belongs in the wash. They know the answer every time. And I'll say to that child, I'll say, okay, let's throw your shirt in the washing machine, but let's not put any soap in there. We're just going to run it through the cycle. Is it going to get clean? No. I've never had a child get this wrong. I say, well, what, what are we missing? Well, you're missing the laundry soap. You know, um, I'll say, what if, um, um, what if we wash it without the laundry soap? Well, you'd have to wash it again with the laundry soap. You see, the laundry soap that takes the stains of sin off of your heart is the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ hung on the cross and His blood was sinless. And that blood is the cleansing agent that washes away our sin. In fact, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us in verse 22, without shedding of blood, speaking of the blood of Jesus, there is no remission. There is no remission. There is no forgiveness. There is no cleansing. I'll say to that child, I'll say, well, what happens if you take your dirty shirt and you chuck it under the bed and you hide it? You never offer it to mom or dad to wash. They'll say, well... Once it was found, I'd be in trouble. But it would never get clean down there. See, many people go through life and they never offer their heart to Jesus to be cleansed. They never call on Him and trust what His sacrifice was on the cross. They never ask Him to cleanse their sins away. And I would say to you that um, if being a good person would get you to get, is, is what it takes to get you into heaven, then how in the world did that thief hanging next to Jesus get in? Well, he was, he was being murdered for his awful, atrocious crimes. And he would even look across Jesus at the other man and say, we deserve what we're getting. He knew he deserved it. We deserve what we're getting. This man doesn't. And then he would look at Jesus, and what was the element there of salvation? It was his faith. He'd say, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said back, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today I'm going to save your soul. The greatest gift of Christmas is the gift being offered to you, and that is the gift of eternal life. That gift was not purchased by Visa or Discover 
or American Express. That visa was purchased by God in heaven. He laid down the life of His Son on the counter and He bought the gift of eternal life. Jesus would then stand up from the grave, defeating death. And now Jesus is standing there with your gift of eternal life and He's saying, it's yours. I suffered and I paid for it. It's free of charge. All you have to do is by faith reach out and take it. And if you will take that gift, then you will become a child of God. Once God adopts you into His family, that is an eternal adoption that can never be undone. Letter A, we see the tangible. Letter B, we see the intangible. The intangible. So we've looked at the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh that was offered by these men uh, uh, to Jesus. By the way, uh, it's fair to get in here. We don't know how many wise men there were. I know the song says, we three uh, kings of Orient are. We don't know if there were kings. We don't know that. We don't know if there were three of them. Um, there's no way of knowing that. God didn't uh, share that with us. And uh, no one had iPhones back then to record it. So we have no idea how many there were. Uh, but we do know there were three gifts, and so that's why uh, people will attribute the three magi or three kings to that. And so they gave of their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. But what else did they give? First, notice that they gave of their time. They gave of their time. First, we don't know how many there were, uh, but we do know how many gifts they gave. Now, I uh, uh, I believe, my theory is that these men were from Babylon, uh, of Babylon, and you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, we do know that Daniel and uh, the Israelites were carried away into Babylon, and that uh, there was a whole lot of uh, Judaism going on in Babylon while they were there. Many of the Babylonians converted over to Ju- Judaism and believed the God of the Bible, and so uh, uh, they would have believed there would have been a spiritual remnant left behind. Daniel wrote his book of Daniel that prophesied the coming Christ there, and so they probably had that along with several of the other prophets' writings to refer to and read and to study and to even know to look for that star. So going under the assumption that they came from Babylon, I, I, I punched into Google Maps what walking directions would be coming from uh, current day, modern day Iran, which is where Babylon would have been. If you left, uh, uh, if you left current day, modern day Iran, the center of it, and you walked to Bethlehem, it would take you 440 hours or 18 days nonstop. Now, that's with our modern road systems in place, right? And so uh, I'm guessing that it took these men at least a month or more to get there. Probably closer to three months of walking. Um, that's three months there, three months back. Um, that's uh, that's a lot of time away from family. I'm trying to help you see some things maybe in the Christmas story you've never seen before. They left their spouses and walked all this ways. They left their children. They left their jobs. They left their responsibilities so that they could go lay gifts that cost them at the feet of a baby. They gave it their time. Now, this Christmas season, we're going to give a whole lot of things to our children, our grandchildren. We're going to give a whole lot of things to um, uh, 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 people at work that we know, co-workers and such. Um, if you want to raise, you probably gave your boss a nice Christmas present, amen? Just making sure you're awake. Um, you, uh, you, you give of those things, but what about your time to the Lord? 
for those of you that attend our church and are faithful to our church and have been here for quite some time, um, if all you do is show up and sit on a pew and listen to me preach and throw a couple bucks in the offering plate when it comes by, and I'm talking about those who come regularly, faithfully, let me just say thank you. I'm glad to have you. And if that's all you're ever going to do, please just keep on coming. But can I say that uh, there reaches a point in time in a Christian's life where God wants you to do just a little bit more. And He wants you to sacrifice for others around you. Somebody's got to watch the nursery. Right? Somebody's got to be upstairs uh, uh, with the children's church. Somebody's got to drive the bus. Somebody's got to work the bus route. Somebody's got to teach the Master Club program on a Wednesday night so that our children will learn the Bible and our next generation is equipped behind us. And these are time sacrifices. So to those of you here today that are already doing those things, let me say thank you for giving of yourself to this baby, just like these wise men so many years ago. The second gift they gave that I would like to point out that's intangible is they gave of their treasure. Now, when I say it's intangible, I know that you can touch treasure, but I want you to look beyond uh, just uh, the money, the, the physical money or items they offered. It's easy for us to look back at history and see a set of facts but separate out the human emotion, right? We study the War of Independence or the Civil War. We go back and look at World War I or World War II, maybe a little less of World War II because we still have some of their veterans amongst us. But you go back and look at some of these old wars and you kind of get where you look at the facts and uh, you look at uh, the stories and you forget that, hey, these were real people that lived during these times. Right? They suffered hurt and pain. They suffered, or rather they enjoyed uh, 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 victories and, and, and they had feelings that were good and feelings that were bad. And oftentimes we'll look at a story in the Bible such as David slaying Goliath and we'll think, well yeah, he, he slayed Goliath and all that and, the Philist- and, and, and they beat the Philistines that day. And we'll forget that, hey, these were real people and these were real emotions and this really happened. And we go back here and we see that, listen, these guys, they had to read deep into their pockets and they had to give that which hurt their own uh, uh, their own uh, bank accounts. They hurt their own wealth status. They reached into their chest and they pulled out of their gold and they laid that gold down for baby Jesus to have. They reached in and they pulled that frankincense and they myrrh out and they, 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 they gave that to the Lord. Maybe they took money and bought those things, but the point I'm getting at here is that they were poorer financially on the back end than they were before. Why? Because they wanted to give to something that mattered deeply to them. And in that sense, it was an intangible gift that they offered. It wasn't just what they gave, it was what they sacrificed and they no longer had. In fact, Matthew 6 tells us where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I would say that you show me where you spend your money and I'll show you who your God is. Who your God is. If you pour all your money out on season tickets to go watch the Giants or the Jets, and I would tell you, you're wasting your time, amen. Um, or you really high fluting and you go up and buy season tickets with the Patriots. Uh, if you like watching a bunch of cheaters, go for it, amen. Um, church split, amen. Um, if that's where you want to spend your money, I'm going to tell you that that's where your God lies. 
If you spend your money, if you spend your money on, on cars and jewelry and, and, and big fancy houses and, 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 and nice clothes, then I would tell you that's where your God is. But if, if you are giving your uh, treasures uh, to the Lord and you're investing in, in, in people and you're investing in uh, humanitarian causes and you're investing in the eternality of souls through our missions program, uh, then, uh, then that's where your heart really lies. And, and so I would tell you to make sure that you are giving of your treasures to the Lord just like these wise men did. The last intangible I'd like to point out is that they gave of their talent. Their talent. Now, um, uh, by the significance of the gifts, it is obvious that these men had taken the intelligence that God had given them and had invested hours and hours and hours into understanding biblical prophecy. I mean, dozens and dozens of hours. Now, um, a lot of people will look at the Bible and they'll say it's too complicated. It's too complicated. But they can break down what an RBI is. They know what, um, you know, they know what the war stat in baseball is. They know what a pass interference call in football is. Um, they know, uh, they know all the rules inside and out. I mean, I've met kids who have every single player's batting average memorized, but the Bible's too complicated. Bible's too complicated. They, um, I'm talking about people who, uh, they, they, they know everything there is to know about how to build a building. I, uh, I, I love to pick on this crowd. Um, do we have any mechanical engineers in the room? Anybody who's a mechanical engineer background? We got one, okay. Anybody else? Got another one over here? That's right. I love to ask a mechanical engineer what they do. You ever, if you ever meet one, ask them, and they have a very tough time answering that question. They just do. Am I right? Am I right? Uh, it's a tough question to answer. You know why? Because you've got to be super, super, super smart and super, super, super educated to excel in that world. And so I look at people, and I, I'm not picking on you this morning, right? I look at people who, who are in that world, and I say, wow, you are so intelligent. And then uh, you look around at other uh, professions and people that do what they do, and you step back and you go, you go, good night. If you can be so knowledgeable about these other things, why don't you take that brain that God gave you, and why don't you invest that into understanding spiritual things? Now, on a side note, I gotta get this in here. Many people who study prophecy, not everyone, and we've got some here that studied, and this is not, I don't know if this to be true of anybody in our church, but many people who study prophecy, they do nothing with it. Their biblical knowledge does not push them, uh, into action. And I would say, if your biblical knowledge does not push you into action, then your biblical knowledge is dead. Right? So, we ought to study the Bible, we ought to understand it, then it ought to propel us to go out and do it. I, I love reading in Revelation and understanding that, hey, Jesus' return is imminent. He could come at any time, and that's exciting, and all of the prophecy and revelation of the, uh, of the, of the coming up events that are coming in Scripture, boy, those are fun and neat to study, but if that doesn't push me to put a couple more gospel tracts in my pocket to give to someone and invite to church and tell about Jesus, then that knowledge is dead knowledge. It's not pushing me to do it. Anything. These people, these men, they had incredible brains, incredible brains, but instead of using them to make themselves rich and make themselves fat and happy, instead they used that knowledge in order to better understand that the Messiah was coming and it prompted them to do something with it. 
And so here we see the presence of the Magi. Number two, we'll move to these next two rather quickly. Notice the posture of the Magi. Look back at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 with me. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 11. It says there, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother. This is just a baby. Look what happened. It says, and fell down and worshipped him. Notice the order here. Notice the order here. They worshipped before they gave. They worshipped before they gave. So I'm addressing a couple of different crowds in church this morning. I'm addressing the crowd that... Uh, you you are a, a getter, not a giver, when it comes to the Bible. That's fine. Let me make sure I say this in a way that does not sound like uh, there's any malice in my voice. There needs to be a time in every Christian's life where they sit and soak the Word of God. And so if you are young in the Christian faith, if you are learning the Word of God, you're still learning the, the, the biblical ropes, you need to come and you need to soak up Every sermon you can hear, you need, to, uh, uh, you need to get in God's Word and read it and understand it. And that's important that you, before you become a giver, that you get everything that you need to get from God's Word so that you have grown. But then there's that crowd that they are that sponge that's full and overflowing because they've gotten so much that they're never giving it out anymore. And I would say that if that's you, then it's time to start giving of some of those intangibles to the Lord. But then there's another crowd here today that you are busy giving. And i got to say, White Oak Baptist Church, you are a very, very hard-working church. Uh, the average church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think here probably 40% of the people do 90% of the work. And so uh, I just want to take a moment and brag on you as a church. Thank you for working hard. Thank you for giving all. But let me just say that before you give to the Lord, you must first worship the Lord. Don't get up and give to the Lord without having first spent time in His book, having read it and, and gotten your, your, uh, your energy from the Lord. Now, many people are busy serving their family, but they're not taking time to worship God first. Mom, you hop up out of bed in the morning, and you probably have a kid yanking on you for you even get out of bed, right? And you're... Uh, you're, uh, you're uh, running in the kitchen and uh, you're, you're getting breakfast put on the table. And I mean, there's cereal flying everywhere and uh, there's milk getting spilled. And you're, you're saying, don't, don't, don't cry over spilled milk, right? And you're getting that cleaned up and uh, you're doing everything you can to get it on the table. And you're trying to get your husband ready. You're trying to get yourself ready. A lot of you ladies work and it's out the door and it's go, 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 busy, busy, busy. And you come home and you're exhausted. You've got to try to get a meal on the table and uh, you get all that cleaned up and you help the kids with the homework. And then you lay down in bed at night and you takes you like 30 seconds to fall asleep. All to do it again the next day. And I would say this is that you will burn yourself out if you're not worshiping the Lord at some point in your day. You make sure that before you give to your family, you're worshiping the Lord. Some of you men, you're, you're tied down at work, you're working yourself very hard, you come home and you try to be a help to the wife in the evening where you can, and it's go, 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 and you're trying your best to be a family man, you're trying your best to be a good uh, husband that gives to his family while your kids are young, as you understand, as so many people have told you, that you blink and they're grown, and you're trying to take advantage of that time while they're young, and... 
But look, you, you, you're that dad who's giving to them, but yet you're not teaching them to keep God first and you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be burned out trying to do the right, right thing because you did not do it with the right spiritual uh, uh, fuel or gas. Many people are busy serving a boss, but they're not taking the time to, to first worship God. And again, I would say to you, go to work and work hard. Last Sunday night, I talked about lifting up Christ in the workplace. And when you go to work and your boss gives you a job, you need to do it to the very best of your ability, whether he's watching you or not. But you make sure that before you do a good job at work, you have spent time worshiping your God. Many people are even busy serving God here at this church. But again, they're not taking time to worship the God who created the church. And I would say to you that before you ever step foot in a Sunday school room and teach a lesson, you make sure you woke up that morning and you read your Bible and you prayed. Before you ever uh, go out and, and knock on one door and invite one person to church, you make sure that you have spent time with the Lord in your Bible and in prayer. Why? Because you must first, like these men, know your posture that you kneel down and worship the baby, the Christ, before you give to the Christ. The greatest struggle in life, my greatest struggle in life, is keeping proper perspective of my placement behind God. You know what I think? I think like a lot of men do. Well, I can figure it out. I can solve it. you got a problem, come talk to me. I'll help you. Um, uh, the kids have an issue with something, bring it to me. I'll help them. I'll tell them. I'll tell them. I know, I know, I know. And God says, you want to take what you know compared to what I know? Why don't you come to the source and, and spend time in my presence and get your wisdom from me first before you uh, go out and try to fix the world. The posture of the Magi. It'll do us a whole lot of good if we know how big God is and how little we are. And we worship Him that way. Number three, we see the protection for the Magi. The protection for the Magi. Matthew chapter 2 verse 12 says, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So the backstory here quickly is that these men come rolling into Jerusalem and they think everybody's going to be as excited about the birth of Jesus as they are. They walk into Herod's throne uh, a little naive and they say to Herod, where is the king of the Jews? And he says, what are you talking about? And, and they elaborate a little more. And so he says to the scribes, where is the king of the Jews? And uh, going to be born. And they say, they quote right off the top of their head, uh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So uh, he sends them off to Bethlehem and says, when you have found the baby, come back and tell me so I can worship him as well. But that's not really his heart's desire. He wants them to bring him to the baby so he can kill the baby. And so uh, they're heading back toward Jerusalem to tell Herod, and God comes to them in a dream and says, you need to go back another way because Herod's not planning to do something good to my child. And so uh, they leave and go a different way, and God not only protects his child, but he protects them. Psalm 91, 1 and 2 says this, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. And if you will dwell in the secret place, you will spend time in the presence of God, then you will be under the shadow, the protection of the Almighty God. You will uh, have your feet on a rock. He will be your refuge. He will be your fortress. And so I would encourage you today to walk with your God. This Christmas Day, I would circle back around to this question to you. Uh, have you put your faith 
in Christ alone. I've had some people say this to me, even recently. Pastor, I cannot, I cannot accept God's gift of salvation because it just can't be that simple. And I would say that God does not just offer salvation to the intelligent. He offers it to everybody. He made His gift simple enough so that when I, as a four-year-old boy, could bow my head and I could accept it. In fact, Jesus tells us we're to come to Him as a child, with the faith of a child. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, today is the day. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. All you've got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and ask Him to take that dirty, sinful heart of yours and with the cleansing agent of His blood, wash every sin away. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith in Jesus. I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, not because of my good works or because of anything other than my faith in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. I have called on His name. That, here's my hand in testimony of that. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I have believed in Jesus. I have done that. You can put your hands down. If you've not done that, you're here today. We've had, we have several visitors in the crowd today. This might be the first time you've heard it. It might be the hundredth time you've heard it, but it doesn't really matter. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would like to help you to do that today. Friday I stood here and married that couple, and they repeated vowels after me. The truth is it wasn't really the words that married them. It was the, the, the love commitment behind those vowels. While you may have been in a church and prayed an empty prayer before, God is not just looking for you to pray a prayer. He's looking for you in faith to believe. Now, the vowels in a marriage ceremony are important. and The prayer where you call on Jesus is important. But that prayer without faith means nothing. If God can look down in your heart and He sees that you believe that His Son lived, He died on the cross for you to atone your sins, and He sees that you believe that, you're begging Him to come in your heart and take your sins away and give you that gift of eternal life, the Bible says, if you'll believe on the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. You will be rescued. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you'd like to do that, I'd like to help you. Just repeat this very simple prayer right there where you're sitting. Just say this. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, below your breath, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin is wrong. I understand that there is a penalty for my sin. That's to be separated from you for all of eternity. I believe that Jesus lived, He died, and He rose from the dead. Come into my heart, take my sin away, and give me the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time while understanding what you're doing, if you prayed that prayer, I'd like to rejoice with you. Would you just slip your hand up for me and put it right back down? Is there one here today say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I see today that I've been caught up in, in doing some giving 
but I probably should be doing a little bit more giving and worshiping of Jesus. Pastor, pray for me that I will keep Jesus at the center of the Christmas season and I will give my best to Him. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Pastor, please pray for me. Lord, I do ask today that You'd help us as we consider the Christmas story, a humble beginning in a manger stall wrapped in rags used to clean animals, laying in a laying in a humble place, God, in a barn. Those magi showed up some time later with those gifts to worship You and then to give the gifts to You. Lord, help us to worship You. Help us to keep You at the forefront of this season. Help us to give those tangible and intangibles. May we give gifts that are fit for the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, you can stand to your feet. The altar's open. I would encourage you, if you raise your hand just a moment ago, saying you'd like to do more giving to Jesus, that you'd come and kneel and tell Him what you'd like to give Him. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die, Pastor Mike is standing right here. He would love to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. If you've been saved but you've not yet been baptized, our baptismal waters are ready. We would love to help you follow the Lord in baptism as that first step of obedience. If you're saved and baptized but you've not yet joined our church, we'd like to encourage you to come and join our church. We're going to be honoring the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And I would say to you that you are not to take of that unworthily. So if you have unconfessed sin in your heart, ought between you and a brother or sister in Christ, take the time right now to confess those sins. and. Get those accounts cleaned up.